0: Same way. The three indicators that you want to think about in terms of the impact of codependency on your life level of functioning is one, the amount of self that's contaminated by the shame, the self rejection. How much of self has been rejected, disconnected in the process of growing up and into adult life? Secondly, the severity of the present toxic situation that has an impact also. And third is the pattern of assumptions and habits that were learned in the past and that are followed in the present, the kinds of cognitive patterns. that, For example, recovery skills training is designed to give you a different way of thinking. Cognitive perceptual reconstruction not only helps you to look differently at the wounded parts of self, but to learn how to think more accurately. And that may sound presumptuous, but the fact is some kinds of thinking are more helpful other kinds of thinking lead to recurrent patterns of of, of toxic relationships. So you need to be thinking about all three of those. How much of self has been disconnected and wounded, how severe is the present toxicity of the environment, and the pattern of thinking that's been evolved in the process of growing up and into adult life. Now there's some people that in codependency, when that relationship becomes threatened it becomes life-threatening literally and at times there's a need for hospitalization because the what happens is the little kid takes over and the little kid believes they can't make it on their own and the little kid doesn't know there's an adult there because the time there isn't inside I've seen so many you know it's amazing in listening for example with codependence it's not an unusual situation. The codependent may be the primary breadwinner, may do basically all the support stuff at home, inside and out, and yet swears that they can't make it without the partner. Help me understand that. They do everything and yet they still believe that they can't make it without the partner. Why? Because without the partner, They don't have someone to be strong for. They don't have enough relationship with self to be strong for self. Again, it gets back to that lack of relationship. Other addictions that I've mentioned, sexual addiction, eating disorders, workaholic kinds of problems. And I do include depression and anxiety in terms of habits of thought and in terms of self-concept thermostat. We get into a way of seeing ourselves, and we need to begin to change that and break out of that mold. The, The last addiction I'd like to talk about, probably of no interest to anyone present, but it's of interest to me, is chemical dependency. First of all, we're in a society that seduces us into chemical dependency in the first place the kinds of TV advertising that goes on in terms of beer commercials, wine commercials, the kind of TV shows like M.A.S.H. where the only one that's really not a drinker is Radar. Now there's a good model, you know? You know, when I grow up, I want to be just like Radar, you know? Isn't that great? Yeah, it yeah it, isn't that Thanks. <laughs> I hear the choppers coming. Look at Cheers, you know? What a pathetic show! And we laugh at it. It's a very popular show. These same guys warm the same bar stools. You know, that's all they do. That's their whole life around a bar. And you wonder why it is, you want to go somewhere where people know your name? You think of a bar, you know? Some people can do that with no problem. Other people, for whatever reason, biochemical, or whether it has to do with the adult-child configuration or both, over time develop chemical dependency. Now it's really important to understand that chemical dependency is not simply an issue of the drugs. Please understand that. It's a thought disorder. As is true of all the addictions, I would say that it's... Well, I sort of say it's, it's even more true of chemical dependency. I, I'm not sure if I believe that. In chemical dependency, the thought disorder, what creates the problem is the interaction between the increasing use of the drugs, whether it be alcohol, cocaine, you know, marijuana, whatever the issue is, whatever the drug is, an interaction between that in the denial of the impact. It becomes the organizing principle over time. You start selecting your friends based on whether or not they're going to support that behavior. So I'm going to go to your house, I'm not going to go to your house. I'm not going to really want to socialize with you because you maybe have one beer and start looking at me funny if I have six or seven. You're fine, you're not, you're fine, you're not. And you start selecting your activities to support the increasing need and desire for the chemical. There comes a point, Stephanie Brown in research that she did at Stanford also found that there comes a point where it becomes the organizing principle in a person's life. Over time, everything else becomes less important. Nothing is as important as your drugs. You say to yourself, how could that mother uh, leave her kid out in front of the bar while she goes in and drinks in a rough neighborhood? Because she doesn't even see it. All she knows is that's where she's going to be. That's what she wants, and she's going to rationalize it. She's going to justify it. She's going to defend it. She's going to deny that it's a problem. And as the defenses continue to increase, as the behavior becomes more and more outlandish, I hate to give this one up, but there's one to follow. We're going to talk about how to create a two-year-old in your personality. Because what happens in the interaction between the chemicals and the impact on your life is you must use more and more defense mechanisms to try to not see the whale turds at the bottom of the ocean. (gasps) You know, Let's not talk about the elephant in the room, let's not talk about what is so obvious. If we don't talk about it, if we don't see it, it's not a problem. Denial, projection. As a person gets further and further into chemical dependency, often they get very suspicious of their partner. They start accusing the partner of infidelity or a lack of commitment or interest in the in the, in the relationship. Projection is taking your own feelings, putting it onto someone else, and then reacting to those feelings outside of yourself. Undoing. No one does as good an apology as either a chemically dependent individual or a two-year-old. Is there a difference? Does anyone care? I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. In fact, I didn't even do it this time, but I'm apologizing anyway. I'll never have another drink. I'll never do another line as long as I live. Just take me back this once. I know that I spent the house payment. I know I hawked the car. It wasn't a good car. You know, we get the rationalization. It's not really my fault that I beat you up when I was drunk. You shouldn't have said what you said. You shouldn't have done like Woody Allen did and sneezed into the cocaine. You know? It's really your fault, but I'm sorry anyway. Notice the contradiction now someone who has a healthy perspective is going to say wait a minute these don't add up right but to a two-year-old or someone that's crossed the line into chemical dependency no problem no problem i'll go east and west at the same time i'll go up and down at the same time no difficulty because they have Become more and more like a two-year-old child. That's one of the reasons they are so incredibly seductive to the codependent partner. If a two-year-old child were to teeter into this room, most people present... How many of you have had a short person in your life? You know, two-year-old. And the rest of you haven't? Come on, see the hands, how many have had kids? Okay, see, they work! (laughs) So does the other one! Okay, the fact is, most of you, if you saw a kid, say two, three years old, and they're coming and they're kind of teetering on that step over there, or starting to mess around with the cameras, or or whatever, you kind of orient, are they okay? You notice that? Even a lot of the men, thank goodness, I'm really proud of this, a lot of men, i become more involved in parenting. And so, even the men, even the men. We've come a long way, guys. We start looking, too. You know, is a kid okay? Is he going to hurt himself? Is he going to get into trouble? It's the same thing with somebody with chemical dependency. There's that natural, that that kind of seductive two-year-old that's also atrocious. You may not have noticed that. Uh, My kids, through tantrums, Did any of your kids, when they were two, throw tantrums? You know, I want what I want when I want it. If I can't have it, we're going to (laughs) pay. You know, the whole body tantrums. We're not talking about just the head. We're talking about the whole body tantrums. That's what happens when the person gets fully blown in their chemical dependency. The whole body can tantrum. It's ominous. It's really ominous. But what happens is that when you cross that line and it comes about with an interaction between the chemicals and the defense mechanisms, as those interact with each other, what happens is you literally form a new part of personality. One of the reasons, to see, the previous research said prior personality had very little to do with the personality of a person who became an alcoholic, practicing alcoholic, or or addict. I believe that the reason for that is that as the personality of the two-year-old forms, two-year-olds, although there's some difference, two-year-olds tend to have certain things in common. You notice that? No! No! You can't make me! You know? Even if they want it, If you tell them to do it, they're going to say no. Do you want an ice cream? No! You notice that? And it's the same thing in chemical dependency. They will resist for the sake of resisting because that's in the nature of two-year-olds. Now again, we're not looking in terms of blame. We're looking in terms of having an accurate model to produce choices and out of the choices to produce change. That's the whole bottom line in all of the talks, is change. The ability to have the choice of making changes. Because what happens is, if you choose to go from chemical dependency into sobriety, and hopefully into recovery, I guarantee you, the two-year-old addictive part of yourself is going to throw a tantrum. Now, I lied just now. I said a tantrum. Huh. There aren't enough fingers on your hands to count the number of tantrums that two year old's going to throw. It's called the dry drunk. You familiar with that term? It's when the two year old is driving the bus. I love this. This is another. You notice I love all of them? Now you can see why, though. Isn't that great? What happens when the two-year-old drives your bus? Is there any wonder that there's such carnage, such damage, such hurtfulness that takes place? The problem is that we tend to hate the addictive part of ourselves. We try to get rid of the two-year-old. I mentioned last time about the surgical mentality of adult children. They try to cut off parts of themselves that they don't want. People with chemical dependency and the other addictions too also try the same kind of mentality. They try to get rid of the addictive part of self. And it doesn't work. You can't supervise a two-year-old unless that two-year-old is right here with you. If the two-year-old isn't right in your close proximity, you can't supervise that kid. You can't supervise if you're busy hating that child. In CPR, or cognitive perceptual reconstruction, and in the recovery skills training course that we're implementing at at MPC, the emphasis is on the supervision. It's not on hating the two-year-old. If I give a loaded gun to a two-year-old child, an Uzi, you know, nothing, nothing big, just an Uzi. Without a silencer, just for effect here now. And that kid sprays the crowd with that Uzi. Whose fault is it? Who's to blame? The kid? No. The kid's just being a kid. It's the lack of supervision that's the problem. The difference between being dry and sobriety is the difference between hating the addictive part of yourself and learning to come to grips with and have a peace about your addiction. Because whether it's codependency, chemical dependency, eating disorders, that's going to be a part of your life from this point on. One nice thing about chemical dependency, one thing I really like about it, it's it's one of the few diseases that lose its power when you accept the disease. When you truly accept the disease of chemical dependency, it loses its power. When you remove the drugs and begin the process of sobriety and recovery changing your mind the disease loses its power. Some of the healthiest people I have met are people that are recovering from chemical dependency. Who have embraced their disease, that celebrate their disease. There's not a day that goes by that a person with chemical dependency doesn't need to celebrate the fact, fact, of their disease. Because what you're doing is celebrating life when you celebrate your disease. It's not that you're glad you've got it. That's not what I'm saying. You're glad you know you've got it. Hear the difference? No one really likes the fact that that they are choosing not to drink or not use drugs, particularly in a drug-oriented culture, but the fact is when you embrace that disease, when you embrace it and celebrate the fact that you now are choosing differently that you're committed to learning to raise that two-year-old child the rest of your life you're gonna have that two-year-old the two year old doesn't go away any more than other parts of, of adult children go away. They don't go away. I don't know anyone that would have a child, you know, have, give birth to a child, if they knew that child was going to stay two years of age. Two year olds can be loving when they're asleep, they're loving when they get what they want, and they're a pain in the butt when you cross them. It's in the very nature of being two. And for people that have crossed the line into chemical dependency, you've got that two-year-old with you the rest of your life. And so the issue is how to be better at supervision. Now, what we've often found is that in the process of making the shift from actively using drugs and chemicals to entering into sobriety, it's often helpful to have a safe environment to make the shift. Because what's happened is the two-year-old is about nine foot seven is how it feels you know baby hugh a huge big two-year-old tiny adult you know you notice that the person says i don't know if i'm going to drink or not what they're saying is they don't know who's going to drive the bus is it going to be the two-year-old or the adult one drink increases the chances of it being the two-year-old Two drinks, three drinks, you don't know which drink, which line is going to knock the adult out of commission and leave the two-year-old driving the bus. And it's for that reason that if you've crossed the line into chemical dependency, as a responsible parent, sobriety is the only choice that makes sense. I want to be really clear about something here. I remember Tommy. When I used to teach Head Start, Tommy's a little towhead. His dad was in prison. His mom was a biker, real tough lady. And Tommy would say things to me like, "I'm going to throw acid in your face." What kind of kid you want to warm up to, you know? And Tommy wasn't going to take naps. And Mr. Jim said, "Tommy's going to take a nap." And I wrestled Tommy for about 45 minutes to an hour while he was screaming and he hated me. And it's like a volcano had gone off in my hands. My supervisor came in, I thought, oh no. It looked like I was killing the kid. I was simply restraining him on his cot. And he was red faced. He looked like he was gonna pop a blood vein. And people, the aides and the volunteers said, boy, he's never gonna talk to him again, to me. That kid's going to write Mr. Jim right off his list. But it was important enough to me that that kid know that when I say something, he could count on it. The predictability was that important. And if it lost my job, whatever, I don't care. At that moment, Tommy was what really counted. Tommy got up from nap after about three-hour nap, and the kid was just exhausted. I mean, he'd wrestled me for all that time. And he got up and he came and he melted in my lap. Literally melted in my lap and we kind of cried together, you know? Someone cared enough to stop him without rejecting him. Someone cared enough to set loving limits without hurting him physically or emotionally, without rejecting him. And that's what we need to do with the two-year-old in the addictive self. We don't need to beat up that kid. We don't need to reject that kid. We need to supervise that kid. It means learning to say yes to healthy things and no to drugs and alcohol. Yes to healthy, no to unhealthy, like any other responsible parent. My particular addiction, in addition to workaholic at times, constantly in the state of trying to deal with that one. What was codependency? For codependence, not a day needs to go by that you don't recommit to the kids inside. You know, I love Sonia, and I love my sons, and I love my family, and, and I have good friends, but none of them, none of them come to before my little boy inside. Because if I turn my back on my little boy anymore, I can't have an intimate relationship with my wife and kids. The relationship with Jimmy inside is what makes it possible for me to be intimate with other people. And so in the same way that every day, someone that's making the process, the journey into recovery from chemical dependency needs to celebrate their disease and embrace that decision of sobriety, not a day goes by in codependency, but you're also not reaffirming that commitment to that little kid inside of you. It's an important part of the process. Very important part. I want you to think about something that's one of the major obstacles in chemical dependency. It's called sloppy thinking. Well, it is. It's called sloppy thinking and sloppy talk. People are always saying, ah, you know, I can't drink anymore. That's a lie. You can drink. You can be an alcoholic and drink and die. You can be an alcoholic and drink and destroy everything that's important to you. It's not accurate to say you can't drink. What happens when somebody tells you you can't do something, particularly if you're two, Think about that a moment. And let's build in some resistance. Let's make the change process as difficult as possible. huh? I can't drink anymore. I can't use drugs anymore. No. The fact is I care enough about me to choose not to. Let me hear you. I can't. Wimpy. We're gonna keep at this till I hear you. I can't. Come on. Let's get a mad on here. Let's get really mad about the fact that we can't flush our lives down the toilet. I can't. I can't. And I'm mad that I can't flush my life down the toilet. I can't destroy my life, doggone it. Come on. How many of you tonight are willing to go in the ring with Mike Tyson? How many of you are saying, I can't? Versus, I don't choose to, thank you very much. (laughs) It may not be much, but it's all I got, and I want to keep it on top of my shoulders. For somebody that's crossed the line into chemical dependency, using drugs. It's like getting in the the ring with Mike Tyson. So if you're going to snivel about it, that's what you snivel about, is you're being deprived of having your block knocked off by Mike Tyson. When you begin to understand that, when you begin to appreciate that what you're really choosing to do is to build a healthy life, and yes, you do need the regret from the previous feeling chart there, the regret of losing your best friend because your drugs do become your best friend, like food in the, in, the, in the eating disorders becomes your best friend. In the codependency, the other relationship becomes your source of being. You need to grieve that, yes. You need to grieve that. You need to feel the loss of that organizing principle. But the fact is, You're choosing life. So if you're going to be upset, that's what you need to be upset with, is the fact that you're choosing life. Do you hear the difference between those two points? As usual, I'm more blabby than I intended, and I really wanted to talk tonight more about the the 12-step model. I'll bring that in next time, because I think we need to really look at that 12-step model in a way that may be a little different than some people do. I see it as a permission giving. I see it as a source of support for the adult in the process of learning how to raise that two-year-old child. So I'll talk a little bit more about that as I begin to talk about new program, learning new tools. The next three weeks are going to be dealing entirely with the process of learning new choices and new tools. Now, two things I'd like to announce. One, if you have any questions, please jot them down so we can collect them. I really would like to answer questions. There were some really good questions last time. I want to really encourage that. It's just impossible with the size of the audience to be able to to have a dialogue. But if you have questions, jot them down. Some people are going to need to leave. So as those people are leaving, we'll collect the questions, and I'd like to spend some time uh, responding to questions. Secondly, if you're wondering about whether or not you have an issue of chemical dependency or any of the other addictions, and you want to get more information, there's some brochures in the front, and maybe we could have some folks that would be willing to, to talk. Bob and Candace and Lenny, Bob. Uh, if there's anybody that has any questions, that's fine. with us. It would be, you know... The main thing is to understand that you have a choice. You do have choices. When you begin to appreciate that and learn that you can approach things differently, then suicide stops making sense. But if you're stuck the way you are in those private hills... I I thought of suicide on a number of occasions before uh, entering into my recovery never actively it's more like gee wouldn't it be a relief I didn't make it home because the, this, the pattern I was living was so painful that it just hurt being me and that's true with any addictions the addictions rob the soul they rob the soul and so we're going to be talking a lot about how to fight back Horowitz we're going to fight back over the next three weeks. So let's take a moment, take a quick break. There's, there's some more. You guys put some more literature out there? Okay. If there's any questions, there's some folks. If you have questions for me, uh, we'll collect them, and then as soon as people have gone that needed to leave, we'll, we'll have the questions and answers. Thanks an awful lot. And that concludes a developmental view of addiction. Thank you.